Excellency, good afternoon. Now, let's start in the beginning. Who is High Commissioner Ndebele and how then did you join the diplomatic service? Well, where do, where do I start? <laughs> yes, somewhere in the beginning. <laughs> well, the, the beginning is, is not long. I was uh, in government for for about 20 years, uh, where I was mostly in the field of transport, the MEC of transport in KwaZulu-Natal uh, for 10 years, and then uh, Premier of the province of KwaZulu-Natal for five years, the first uh, ANC Premier in that uh, very difficult province, uh, so you know the significance. Then, uh, of course, I then became a National Minister of Transport. Uh, then I became a Minister of Correctional Services. So that, 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 that's the, the background. Yes. Uh, before that, of course, one had uh, been in the notorious uh, Robin Island for 10 years. Uh, so, uh, Nelson Mandela was not just our hero there, he was our role model uh, in prison uniform. Uh, that even then you must pick up your dignity and maintain it right through. So, so that, that's uh, background. But uh, of course, uh, after 2014, I was then asked to come in in the in this department, uh, first posted uh, in Australia, uh, which is, they say, is down under. Uh, you come to Australia because you are coming there. It's not that we are passing by. Mm. So that is quite a very isolated place, but very dynamic. And uh, <clears throat> then in 2018, I was uh, appointed to come to India, and I started in 2019. Uh, uh, the brief coming from the leadership uh, government ministers was that uh, India sort of needed uh, somebody with uh, some background, particularly with the Indian community, and both in terms of just familiarity with politics, but particularly familiarity with the politics of KwaZulu-Natal where you really have got uh, a very distinct communities there, the African community, mostly Zulu-speaking, uh, then the Indian community, and then the, the white community. Uh, very sort of standalone communities, as it were. And uh, <coughs> one needed uh, someone who had an understanding of uh, Indian culture and Indian politics, uh, as, 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 as it was said by the leadership then, that uh, for a long time we, we needed to energize uh, our relationship with the India. It had a lot of potential. India being then the second uh, largest in terms of uh, population, uh, we're told this year. After China? Yeah, we're told this, this January that uh, it had just under, uh, overtaken China in terms of population. Hmm. Yeah, so so that, that, that's where we are. It needs a, a very broad approach. So it's not just a political mission. It needs to entrench our relations that uh, 
have been forged uh, really uh, in a very, very uh, remarkable way. Uh, we have got sort of common founders, as it were, uh, because uh, the founder and uh, the father figure of India is Mahatma Gandhi. But Mahatma Gandhi was nobody when he left India for South Africa. He became what he was in South Africa. It was South Africa that uh, uh, matured Mahatma Gandhi uh, from just an ordinary misty gentleman Gandhi to be a Mahatma Gandhi. It was uh, in South Africa where the even how we were going to call this passive resistance was debated by Gandhi and his colleagues in South Africa. What we call it passive resistance, it's such a, 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 a huge noble effort. Why should we call it in an English name? That means nothing. And then they tried some other names and then they arrived into this Satyakraha. Uh, all that was in South Africa. By the time he came to South Africa, to, to India, he had already experimented with passive resistance, with negotiations, passive resistance, and uh, further negotiations with the highest that, that, that were uh, the, the, the Jan Smarts, who were the co-founders of uh, the United League of Nations and, and the United Nations, and yet negotiated with people like those. So, so then uh, even the name itself uh, that uh, we was adopted by the liberation movement, the African National Congress, the name Congress really came from the Indian Congress, which was the first really black organization that, that was formed in South Africa in 1898. Four. And then uh, later on, then in 1912, you formed the African National Congress. So there, there was a lot of affinity. And we needed to, to dig deep into that affinity, uh, a common past uh, which uh, had a, a very weak present and make it a very strong future. 30 years of diplomatic relations between South Africa and India in 2023. And obviously, as you've just alluded, these relations start even beyond that historically. How are we in terms of our relations with India and its community? Sometimes what we don't usually say is that uh, India was, was the first to, to break uh, relations, diplomatic relations with uh, uh, apartheid South Africa in 1946. Uh, even before the assumed independence in 1947, uh, remember that, that interim government. Mm. And they, they were the first to raise this matter very sharply at the United Nations. Uh, the, it, it was very sharply raised and it became on the agenda of the United Nations from that time, 1946 mm. to 1994. Uh, it, it was a permanent, a permanent uh, item at the United Nations uh, and it was India that expected that, that and uh, it became a very critical pillar of our struggle. We had mass struggles with uh, the underground, we had armed struggle, but the most uh, visible and effective pillar was one of uh, the, inter the international isolation of apartheid South Africa and the recognition of the people of South Africa through their 
legitimate leadership. And uh, we, we, we've got diplomatic cars as we, as we come here. But South Africa was first recognized not in 1994, but in 1986, when uh, they took our representative, our official representative here, as, and, and, gave, and gave him a diplomatic status. In 1986, already he was driving a CD, CD-126, I think it was. Our official number now is CD-95. It was CD-123. Uh, uh, we, we really had diplomatic status by that time. Uh, of course, uh, we as a liberation in South Africa, we did not want to, to be seen uh, you know, in what is called a government in exile. So that, that, that was modestly accepted. But it allowed us a lot of, uh, it gave us a key to a, a lot more doors, uh, that recognition. And then, of course, uh, in 1993, November, the 22 November, finally, we then entered into formal diplomatic relations. So we were celebrating 30 years this year. And uh, it's, uh, it's been a very, very glorious uh, relationship. Any plans for the 30-year celebrations, maybe planned from your side and also from the Indian side? From our side, uh, one, one of the things that uh, we, we're preparing to do is it, just uh, technical things that we're doing now to erecting a Mandela statue. It's, we have had a, don a donation from uh, uh, well-disposed people to say there are statues of uh, Gandhi in South Africa. So wh why is there no statue of Mandela in, in India? And uh, of course, you, 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 we have to examine that quite uh, deeply because uh, it's better not to have a statue than to have someone asking why is there a statue of Mandela? Mm -hmm. Rather, the, the welcome question is the one that is being asked now. Why is there no statue of Mandela? So that, that is in, in preparation. We're, we're, the practical part of it has been done because uh, we've got a donation. Uh, the area has been identified. Uh, we, we are just sorting out the, the, the technicalities uh, before we put it up. It's one of, of the symbols of, of that. And uh, the other one, of course, that uh, was uh, we lost uh, regretfully is the direct flight. So there's nothing that uh, is going to cement the relationship of people of South Africa and the people of India more than a direct flight from India to South Africa. We had that and of course we, we lost it and we are reviving it. There is a commitment by the South African government to have that, but there is more commitment by the Indian government to have that. In fact, uh, the two airlines had been identified before COVID that we're going to be flying to South Africa, and then COVID sort of uh, uh, spoiled that, that rhythm, that, that we are regaining that rhythm now, and we hope that shortly, uh, or rather before long, uh, that flight will, will open up. It will do a lot of things, because I'm, I'm sure your own experience coming here was that uh, when you fly from South Africa, from Johannesburg, you see the flight being full and you think uh, well those people maybe are going to Dubai or making, going to 
somewhere else and so forth. And you stop in Dubai and then the flight is still full, which indicates any time, whether it's beginning of the year, middle of the year, any time, it's full. So that uh, there, there is a lot of uh, communication or a lot of movement between the people in India and people in South Africa on their own. Because these are kin and kids. People have got uh, families in India. Mm-hmm. People have got families in South Africa. Uh, when they get married, they want to come uh, come via India uh, for the final blessings and so forth. And when they die, most of the time, they bring ashes to be scattered in the Ganges River here and all that. So this is quite a very deep relationship. But politically, it's a very, very deep relationship. Not just with one party, but generally with the uh, political leadership of India. We also participate with India in multilateral platforms like Ayora, IBSA, um, and also with the BRICS. Does this mean that we share common ideals with India, and do we have a lot of areas of agreement in these multilateral spaces? There is something that uh, very interesting that was said by uh, the the Honourable uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs here, Dr. Jayashankar, uh, where he was talking about uh, their relationship with the, uh, with the Americans. He was saying that uh, it's sometimes puzzling why the Americans think that what are their friends should be our friends, what are their enemies should be our enemies. Uh, you are saying that in relation to the current uh, position of uh, that uh, India has adopted, which is the same as that of South Africa. Uh, and uh, because uh, we, we've got our own uh, wishes and objectives as a country, and uh, we find common, common ground in most of those wishes with India. Uh, both of us are still... Uh, struggling against the, the vestiges, uh, the aftermath of racism and colonialism and the, the, under, the deliberate underdevelopment of our people, both educationally, educationally, culturally and politically. Now we've uh, acquired our political freedom, both of us, but that political freedom is only a key to open up what we could not open just as a, a liberation movement, the economic uh, rights and economic heritage of our people. India is struggling with that and the, uh, the, the devastating effect of poverty and unemployment, we are also dealing with, dealing with the same. And uh, they found different avenues to deal with this. Uh, not only to, to say uh, there will be foreign investor who will come and uh, that investor will then employ our people. We know that uh, the, the modern economy is not made up that way. It, it actually takes away jobs as it concentrates through new technologies and so forth. So India is finding new ways of, of dealing with that and uh, those are very important to us. If I, I can take just the area of agriculture, uh, I, I've not had uh, India still battling with the, what we call the land question. They've been able to distribute their land 
and uh, make their small farmers to be quite productive, to supply the people of India with their basic uh, food, rice and wheat and, and so forth. So, so and, and then export mm-hmm. over and above that. We haven't reached that in South Africa where our people, first of all, have got uh, the correct access, the adequate access to land. But the, the immediate, the political question of uh, restitution of land is being won. Who are winning that politically? Mm-hmm. And uh, all, all these agreement in principle and the difference is that we want that thing to be put, uh, put as an amendment to the constitution so that no matter who comes in future, will not find it easier to, to, to then uh, repeal that law. That, 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 so so that, that's a technical issue. But the fundamental issue is you have land, then what do you do with it? Mm. That is going to be the question. Up to now, uh, those who have land, who, who got the land under this uh, uh, willing buyer, willing seller, it's not been very uh, attractive in, in that uh, perhaps with we are now having a new class of uh, farmers, of black farmers in South Africa. We, we had to have those. So that uh, we, we still have got uh, a lot to, 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 to study and to borrow from our friends. How have they sorted the land? What has happened to the, to the previously landless in India? What, what, where are they? And who is producing for India? And uh, and we, we should come to the same conclusion in South Africa that uh, the landless now have land, number one, but they are not only producing for their families, they are producing for the market. And therefore, you really are reaching self-sufficiency in, in food, uh, which was quite a bit of distance from. And it's, it's quite, it's still very important to have the delegations that we, we've started having uh, with step by, by COVID, but we are having delegations from South Africa that are studying, particularly the, this cooperative movement in India, which is quite strong, particularly of uh, farmers, of small farmers uh, working together. And uh, what they ask the question, what would be the use of one small farmer with uh, 10 hectares or 5 hectares owning a, a tractor. What do you do with a tractor the rest of the time? You, you only bought it for 5 hectares or even 1 hectare for that matter. But as a cooperative of 10, 30 families, the, the, this tractor becomes uh, useful and uh, busy all the time. and, and uh, producing food for you, for all of you, and better, better cultivated fields, and you can even cultivate for the neighbors as well. So those are all the lessons that one starts seeing in India, and uh, I'm clear that uh, uh, particularly portfolio committees and uh, other delegations are coming here in India and learning those in, in areas that come to Delhi, but uh, mostly in uh, Kerala, there's quite a lot of uh, things to learn there and in other states as well. So that 
that, that is a type of relationship, the people-to-people relationship that uh, really, really sustains the relationship between India and South Africa. One of the key metrics of measuring uh, diplomatic relations is the, the metric of, of trade and, and investment. That sometimes this is in the form of your foreign uh, direct investment. Sure. And also what could be done to improve taking into effect that India has got the biggest population which then creates a very big market. Mm. That, 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 that is why that, that is a wrap actually to measure the relationship in terms of the actual trade. Uh, at this time the South Africa is the biggest trader with the Nigeria uh, in, in, in Southern Africa. Uh, in Africa it's number two to Nigeria, Nigeria because of oil. Uh, then we, we fall in number two. But in terms of manufacturing and manufactured goods and, and so forth, we, we are a leading partner with India. The foreign direct investment is uh, at uh, 8 billion. Uh, that is India to South Africa. And of course, South Africa invests about 2 billion in India. We have got a huge, huge potential to increase that uh, to almost 18 billion direct investment. So the, we are, it's, it's quite very varied as well. So that, that, that's what is interesting. It's not just a, a matter of coal or raw material. And the manufactured goods are becoming more increasing. Of course, pharmaceuticals are the, the key from India. Besides you know, sharing this deep historical and political ties, uh, the mutual love for things like um, cricket, the rich heritage, and warm, hospitable culture and cuisine is what actually helps bind us together as two countries. Now, I guess the question becomes, um, when, you, when you talk about people-to-people exchange mechanisms, the so-called soft power, how are we doing in that regard? When you talk about cuisine, that's that, that's one interesting factor because uh, the distinctive feature of any country mm-hmm. is uh, how is their food. Yes. And uh, an Indian going to South Africa doesn't have to worry about how is their food. <laughs> because it's Indian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a South African coming to India doesn't worry too much about how is their food because uh, they would have left it at home anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, your, 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 your roti, your pan chow, and, and so forth, you'll find in India, you find it in South Africa, particularly Devon, yes. so that uh, it will be the same. So there's a lot of commonality. And uh, of course, uh, even uh, at the most critical time of your life, significant time of your life, your weddings, mm-hmm. there's no South African Indian wedding that is complete without coming to get your, all your attire in India. Even your death is not complete if your ashes are not going to be sprinkled here in India, in the famous river here, the Ganges. Actually, when I came here in 2019, I was surprised at the multifaceted traffic that exists between South Africa and India. India is hosting the G20 we uh, this year, and then currently we, we are due to to also attend the, the foreign ministers uh, meeting. What could be some of the key expected outcomes from this uh, particular foreign ministers summit and the actual summit at the end of the year? Yes, uh, India is, is hosting uh, the G20 very significant and uh, I'm sure when you enter the airport 
Mm. You saw the posters everywhere. Mm. Uh, it's uh, very widely publicized that India is hosting the G20 this year, and uh, they are taking that very, very seriously. In fact, uh, by January, by the end of January, they published more than 200 functions, gatherings, to commemorate that, so that uh, by the time they, their chairship of, uh, of the G20 ends at the end of the year, they will have reached out so much to India that, that they had not reached before. The, the way they are using their chairmanship of G20 is really very embracing of the Indian people so that they start appreciating the place of India in the world. That is very important for the ordinary people to appreciate the place of India in the world. I hope we do the same uh, as we chair BRICS uh, so that people know that uh, such opportunities are actually rare and they are very important. At this current time, the mouthpiece of BRICS is South Africa. At this time, the mouthpiece of uh, easily 75% of the, of the world through G20 is India. And uh, they are using that very, very effectively to deepen, increase their business opportunities and uh, academic, professional opportunities. And uh, I think we've got to, quite a, a lot to learn from that. Lastly, High Commissioner, to South Africans at home who are thinking, you know what, it sounds uh, like a great country. I want to visit uh, India too. What would you say to them? Personally, in your own love life, you've not done it all uh, until you've been to the Taj Mahal. You know? It's a beautiful love story. Uh, it's a beautiful monument to just uh, the most enduring sentiment of all people, uh, just love. And they've made it uh, really like it is manufactured in India. Take a simple story like that one and elevate it. And uh, take passive resistance. Now it's a preferred method of struggle throughout the world. Hi, Commissioner, as they say in India, Namaste. Thank you very much for your time. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank Indeed. You. Thank you.